And welcome to the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. This is Eddie Cohn, obviously, host of the podcast. Had a really freaking awesome conversation with Menachem Silverstein a few days ago. We're going to hear the conversation, or you'll hear it really, really soon. Just I wanted to talk about him really fast. He's a stand-up comedian, writer, director in Los Angeles. And it's just, again, Instagram has... It's one thing I do like about Instagram is it allows artists to share their work, their progress. And I have to say, over the last year, I've been really stoked about his career and just seeing him blossom. And he's writing more content. He's now doing stand-up over at the Laugh Factory and the Comedy Store and the Improv in LA. And he's really freaking funny. And it's, it was nice to have a guest on the show where it wasn't... I mean, obviously, we get into social media uh, a little bit, but he's he's really funny. And we had a great time, and it's a fun conversation. And it was just nice to have somebody on the show who... Um, is really sort of, there's levity. There was levity to the conversation. It was lighthearted. You know, we get some good stuff going on about, we have a great conversation also about social media and sort of where his background, his background and how he ended up in LA, but it's just, it was a really funny conversation. Um, and both of our stomachs at one point start growling at the same time. So it was actually kind of funny, but, um, definitely check him out. He is going to be at the Laugh Factory July 8th. At 9.45 p.m. is the show. He's also at the Comedy Store Monday, July 22nd at 8 p.m. So those are a couple shows for him coming up in July. And yeah, it's been really cool just to see his career blossoming and, and coming together. And I hope you really dig the conversation. Really quickly, if you dig the show... I say it, you know, not, try not to bother you too much, but uh, if you dig the show, write a review on iTunes or shoot me an email, eddiewcohen at gmail or message me on Instagram or Twitter, uh, or as I said, write a review on iTunes. Uh, that stuff really helps and it would be cool to hear from you. I'm getting a lot of listeners in Denmark and Australia. So if you're digging the show there, let me know. I, I, I just would be curious to hear what you think about it or, or why you're listening. So yeah, that's that stuff just really helps. Last thing, I'm, I am DJing in the month of July, July 13th and the 20th over at Above 60, the pool in Beverly Hills. It's from like 1 to 6 p.m. So put it in your calendar if you're digging pool vibes, just want to listen to some cool music and lounge at a pool and drink alcohol. I mean, yeah, that sounds like a good time. Uh, so definitely come on by. And last but not least, I read an article today. In um, Fox News, I apologize for my CNN uh, liberal listeners, but yes, I do also read Fox News. Um, there's this story of this woman who went to the pool with her with her baby, and she went there with all of her pool gear, you know, bikinis, different outfits, different sort of paraphernalia that one would bring a one, that one would bring with them to the pool. And so she went ahead and set up like a selfie stick and a tripod and took all these photos for 10 to 15 minutes at the pool uh, and posted them all on social media and then got all of her stuff. Oh, and then her child goes and goes to the pool because obviously her toddler wants to go swim. And she tells her child, no, we have to go now. And so they got all their stuff. And the child's like crying and all this sort of stuff because she wants to stay at the pool. And the mother basically says, no, we have to go. We we did everything we need to. We got all of our social media selfies. Everybody will think that we're having a great time today at the pool. We have to go. 
<laughs> so I just, I thought that was a really funny story. Um, so yeah, that's it. Menachem Silverstein. He can be found on Instagram. He's freaking hysterical. He posts, he like posts all these skits and these funny comedy routines that he writes and directs on Instagram. And they're really funny. And check him out at the Laugh Factory or the Comedy Store in July. And as always, thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoy the conversation that I had with Menachem. How does it feel? Being, it's recording. How does it feel being in the uh, most orthodox Jew neighborhood in Los Angeles? Um, I feel hungry because <laughs> I drove past restaurants on the way here, and I'm like, "Oh, they're all kosher now." Do you feel weird that I'm going to tell orthodox Jew jokes throughout the whole podcast? Um, I would be strange? very impressed if you knew that many orthodox Jewish jokes. You put in that much effort. I know. And like, are you te- are you technically orthodox Jew? I'm an orthodox Jew. You are. Okay. Got so it. Bad. Well, no, I think it's important to say, you know, who you are and, and because we're going to be telling a lot of racist jokes throughout the podcast. So. All racist jokes. Yeah, right? And there's sort of, it's kind of, there's some pressure though, I think, because... I'm going to say you're a stand-up comedian and people are going to be expect, you know, my podcast with, with yoga teachers on sometimes and writers and musicians, there's this sort of like, it, it gets a little serious sometimes. So I feel like it's going to be nice to change it up, change it a little it bit lighter. Yeah, exactly. Have some fun, make some Jew jokes, <laughs> just what everyone's looking for. Right. When's your next, so when's your next gig over at the Improv or the Laugh Factory? So the Laugh Factory is July 8th okay. at 10 p.m. Okay. And then the end of July, I'm at the Comedy Store. I think it's the 25th. But yeah, uh, Comedy Store Belly Room, I believe, on the 25th. And that would be 8 p.m. But the bigger show is the Laugh Factory. When's the Laugh Factory again? July 8th, 10 July p.m. 8th. It's a Monday night. Okay. Yeah. Right after the holiday. I thought you were going to say Holocaust. I was like, <laughs> we did that already. Been there. Um, right after the holiday. Yes. Yeah. So I want to play a quick clip from the, from the improv. And, and then I just want to, you know, talk to you about your your style and, and sort of how you got into writing and and comedy and that whole thing. So this this is just this is from your Instagram, your favorite. And, and you have like over 10,000 followers now. Yeah. So that you can actually be on the show because that's that's the prerequisite now. <laughs> to finally. Yeah. Yeah. I've been waiting. I was like at nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine. And I was like that one follower. Right. Every time I reach 10,000, you unfollowed yes, me. Right. So you wouldn't have to have me on the podcast. <laughs> exactly. So here we go. This is Max from the Improv, probably sometime in the last, uh, you know, it was like a month ago or so. Yeah. 23 and Me is? Yeah. Heard of 23 and Me? Yeah. So I tried 23 and Me recently. I looked at myself in the mirror. I'm like, I just want to know, like, I have a family. I have kids. I want to know what I am. I want to be able to give that heritage to my children. So I tried 23 and Me, and a couple days ago, I got back the results, and I opened it up, and it just says, Jew. <laughs> says 100% Jew. No region, nothing, just Jew. And I'm like, that much I knew. So I called them up and I'm like, hey, like, it's not, it's not possible to be 100% of anything. Come on, we're in America. We're so diverse. It's, not, it's impossible. I can't be 100% Jew. I want my money back. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good right 
Wow, that's that's really funny. If I really was a hundred percent Jew, would I have spent the two hundred dollars to begin with? Exactly. Right? Oh gosh, the cats are here. Cats, come on, get out. Cats. I love cats. Come on, get out of the studio. Come on. Even though don't some people think the cats are evil, so if they like me, I guess that's not great. <laughs> so what's it, what was it like being there at the improv? It was great. That was actually a really big show. So a friend of mine is preparing for his hour that he's going to film. He's going to record in D.C. Okay. My friend Tehran. And he let me open up for him. And there were over 400 people in the audience. Wow. So it was like really full room. Were and you a little freaked out? A little bit. I, it was the first time doing that club. And it was a lot of people. Uh-huh. But it was really fun. Yeah. I had a great time. And uh, the best part about that show. So I was an Orthodox Jew. What do you mean was? So <laughs> Wait, what's I am, exactly, then what's I stopped this? and now I'm back. <laughs> so the show consisted of an Orthodox Jew, okay, a Muslim woman, okay, a black guy, and the headliner was my friend Tehran, who is half black, half Muslim, and Jewish. Wow. Right? So, so it was like he's the combination of everything. It yeah. was just a wild show. It's that's so Los Angeles. So Los exactly. <laughs> now he can joke about everything. He's the unicorn. Do you feel as though is it weird making fun of yourself? It's like self-deprecating? Yeah. I I think that that's funny. Yeah, I agree. I think that comedy uh breaks boundaries and comedy breaks down walls. Right. And when I get on stage, People don't really know what to do or how to react because they're like, oh, there's an Orthodox Jew with like his yarmulke and his titsis and a beard. And they just like look at me and they don't know what to say or what they can and they can't laugh about. Right. And the second I get up and I'm like, yep, I'm Jewish. Yeah. Then it just breaks that wall. And then I can make some Jewish jokes and they're like, oh, it's okay to laugh about it. And then through laughter, I can teach them a little bit about what an Orthodox Jew is and that we're normal. We just, you know. Drive a lot of minivans. Drive a lot of minivans. (laughs) We're keeping the minivan industry alive. Yes, you are. It's us and like Asians. Right, right. The only people that drive minivans. Well, I feel like over the last year or so, you've become more confident. You're getting yourself out there. You've sort of got an Instagram following happening. What sort of has... What have you been focusing on? What's sort of been happening the last year where you've sort of taken your career... And it, it does seem to be on this nice, steady, uphill thing that's going on. Thank you. Yeah. Even though this is the downward spiral, <laughs> now we're talking about the uphill. Um, I think Jeff Ross put it really nicely. He said that it took him 11 years to become an overnight sensation. Yeah. So a lot of it was, in the past, me preparing to kind of push. So figuring out how to make sketches and how to write sketches and how I would film those and then writing and I got into commercial writing and script writing and then practicing stand-up and doing a bunch of like open mics that I didn't invite anyone to because I was terrible. And I just kind of like worked on it and then once I was good enough, I then utilized the connections that I had to get a bigger show that I invited people to that then got me more shows and then I used all of these things as launching platforms. And are you like taking notes everywhere you go or recording things? I mean, how do you come up with material? Yeah, so I'll be on the street or in the airport or wherever I am and something funny will come to my mind and usually my wife's next to me and I'll be like, oh my gosh, I just thought of something funny and I'll tell her and she's like, that's terrible and then I know it's really good and it'll work. Um, And then it's kind of about, the first step is just inspiration. 
right. then I have to take it and formulate a joke because just because something's funny doesn't mean it's a joke. And that, that I think separates regular people from comedians. You can be funny with your friends, but if the joke can't be redone and can't be performed, then it's not a joke. You just were funny in that moment. Yeah. So you have to figure out how to say the joke. And then once it's a joke, you practice it in front of an audience because just because you think it's funny and just because it is a joke doesn't mean it's funny. Yeah. And I've had amazed, I had this one joke that the concept of it was I went into the elevator and this happened at Adler Winery where I used to work. Uh-huh. I walk into the elevator and there's a lady holding a balloon that says, world's greatest assistant. Okay. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this lady's like amazing. She's buying her assistant a balloon. And I'm about to say like, good on you. And then I realized, wait a second, if she had the balloon for the world's greatest assistant, wouldn't it not be the world's greatest assistant (laughs) if she's making her boss buy her a balloon? Right. So like I, that was just like a funny thought and I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to make this into a joke. And I've tried and there's just too many parts and it was just too confusing and nobody would ever laugh at it. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, like I found that hilarious in the moment and I just had to crumple it up and throw it away. Right. Versus really stupid jokes that sometimes I'll just on the spot say it on stage. Yeah. And it was hilarious. It's funny. I just saw the Ellen DeGeneres um, show on Netflix where it's called... um, I forgot what it's called, but her her Netflix special. Relatable. Yes. Or unrelatable. I forget which one it is. I think it's uh, relatable. Yeah, it might be. Well, it it just made... And then she was Ellen's going to listen to this and yell at us. Yeah. And then she was on the um, David Letterman interview show, and he was asking her about it. And just... It it does it came across so effortless. Like I had never seen. Have you seen the show? Yeah. I mean, it's I'm not really like good. an Ellis an Ellen fan of any sort, but I mean, well, that's not fair. I, I think she's funny, but I don't like seek her out or anything. But I, it just there is this sort of effortlessness to it. And what does it take to get to that point? Or I mean, does it? How much time are you putting into your craft? And are you using? Instagram to sort of practice that performance aspect of, of your work? So, good question. Thank you. <laughs> um, it takes a really, really long time to get the joke the way you want it to actually sound. Right. Um, like, a lot of times I'll try to record almost all of my shows so I can listen back to it and see how it sounds. And what I'll do is like, I'll listen to the joke. I'll be like, if this was on a record, if this was on a comedy album, would I listen to it? Would I laugh? And I listen to it. I'm like, there's too many words. It's yeah. not funny. There's too many, eh, but it's like, it sounds like a live show versus like really locked down jokes. And when you're writing a joke, most of the time, less words, the better. Right. And it's also the words that you use. Like yeah. when, when you want to get to like the Ellen level where everything is funny and you just sound smooth, that means that each joke was like honed in on. Yeah. Like two nights ago, I just practiced five new jokes and I got a bunch of laughs, but I listened to the recording after and I'm like, every single one of these jokes needs to be shorter. It needs to be tighter. It needs to be funnier. And I have to stop saying the word like in between mm-hmm. all of my jokes because it's not funny. No one wants to listen to an album if you say like a lot. Yeah. Um, but about the Instagram thing. I do use Instagram to get people to shows and I use Instagram to test some material sometimes. Like if I have a little recording, I'll do it. But for Instagram, when it comes to comedy, it's more like showing off like, oh, I've been to the Laugh Factory. I've been to the Improv. Here, come follow me. 
um, when it comes to script writing, that's what I get to practice with my Instagram. Because if I come up with a scene that's funny, mm. I'll film it, post it, and see the kind of reaction that it gets. And then when I go to write scripts, I know what audiences react to yeah. and what they find funny. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, I, I obviously I talk about Instagram a lot and I think it's affecting you our culture. I know in, in, in our in sort of a negative way, but I do try to remind people as an artist, as a performer, I think it's invaluable. I think it's important to tell people about your shows. And I think it's a great way to practice and see it's a quick you get a quick response. You know right away if something is working, if something isn't. So I think for a comedian, a stand-up comedian, I think it's invaluable. I think it makes sense to use it as you do. I think that Instagram is amazing and the worst thing ever, kind of like you do. Yeah. So when it comes to an artist, it's great because they have a platform to express themselves. They can build a fan base and then they can build their brand. When it comes to different like brands and companies, it's also like there's a boot company that I'm actually wearing their boots that they... Um, I've done some commercial work for them and they've sent me stuff. They built their brand on social media. Yeah. So they sell through Instagram, through Facebook, and that's how they built it. And I think that what they did was they used social media to like become one with the people and become like a brand of the people. Right. Um, and I also think that social media and Instagram is a great way to con- to have people connect. And that's why I'm kind of excited. Um, they announced they're going to get rid of the likes. So that's official. I think it's official. I know they tried oh. it in Canada. Interesting. Well, I I, I heard that it's going to be I've like a test run in America. Okay, I've certainly read about it. I don't think it's official yet. It's not official. Ugh. No, because then I think that it's great because then somebody can put something out without the worry of it's not going to look good in front of someone else, and you right. can just it could just be about the art. You mm. walk through an art gallery. Yeah, most you're... of the time there aren't prices on it. You don't know what's what. You like it, then you can ask for the price. Right. So for the person to put out better content they can see the likes and how people react but it's not on display for everybody it'll give people a chance to make better content without being judged you know one of my friends described it as sort of uh and i want to get back to your comedy and but one of my friends described instagram oh it's like just a photo album people come over and you show them your best photos on your trip and i just i call bullshit because <laughs> anything that's public where anybody can see you're you're inviting your best friends over or your family to look at your photo album. You're not right. inviting 10,000 people over to look at your photos. You're carefully curating things to make sure that it's looking a specific way or you're wanting to create a, a specific reaction. Yeah, you want 10,000 people to love you. Yes. You're just looking for love. It's yes. like, hey, do you like me? Do you yeah. like my content? Right. Can I do this for a living? Yes. How has it felt the last, like... I don't know, uh, six, nine, ten months. I feel, I mean... it's So it's almost a year since I really took the plunge yeah. into comedy, writing, and production. Um, and it feels, it feels amazing. Why? What do you mean? So I kind of had a nine-to-five job that wasn't really building towards any of my goals. Yeah. And it was really holding me back because it was eating away at all of my energy. And mental, physical, everything. And then I kind of had the opportunity to start writing commercials, which led to me kind of producing and directing my own commercials. And then now I have a production company and I do 
product videos, product photography. Um, I'm filming a web series for someone and it leaves a lot more time for me to write. So I've been selling more sketches. I've been getting more meetings for scripts. I've had more time for my wife, kids, yeah. family, and stand-up. Because if you want to be a good stand-up comedian, you have to be there. You have to be out every night practicing your jokes to get those jokes tight and perfect. Yeah. And if you had a long day at your nine to five, there's not much room to write, do stand-up, and do the things that you want to do. My wife came over to me when my daughter was three months old and said, "Hey, I want to pierce her ears." And I was like, "Are you kidding me? We're gonna pierce our daughter's ears? We're gonna hire somebody to stab her ear with a needle?" That's barbaric. She looked at me and she was like, you are okay with our son getting circumcised. <laughs> Between you guys and me, like, a circumcision and earrings is not the same thing. Right? Saying like earrings is aesthetics. Like, it's, it's beautiful. Like, it, you know, it adds to beauty. Like, you can choose the earrings. But a circumcision is a bond between man and God. God came down to us and he gave us from his best. He gave us love, life, and laughter. And in return, we gave God from our best a piece of our penis. So I have a production company called Wingmen Productions. Okay. And it started out as just a commercial-based company or you were hired to write commercials? Explain that a little bit. Okay. So I moved to L.A., to be a screenwriter. Okay. I always wanted to do comedy and I did some open mics in New York, but I was like, uh, religious Orthodox Jew. Like I'm never going to be a comedian. Hmm. And then when I moved out here, I had the opportunity to start writing for comedians. I had the opportunity to sell sketches. This was while I was still at my nine to five. And then a friend of mine got a commercial. He got hired to film a commercial for a wine company called Bartonura. Okay. It's a Jewish wine company that's part owned by Nicki Minaj. Okay. So there have been like rap music videos where you have like this kosher wine with like Hebrew letters in the bottles being like popped off on strippers and things. It was ridiculous. <laughs> so he got this opportunity and he's like, I need a script and I need this to be good. And he hired me to write a script for him. Okay. And then I wrote the script and I was actually the actor um, backed out last minute. So I was in the commercial. So I wrote it. I was in it and I watched how it was filmed and produced. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I can do this. Hmm. So me and my friend teamed up and I was writing and co-producing with him and he was producing and directing and we got some commercial gigs for the company Thursday Boots and a bunch of other companies. And then I met with an investor who invested in 11 companies and I said, hey, why don't you let me handle your production? Yeah. And he said, he, I showed him the videos that I did and he said, sure. And then that was enough work and enough money for me to quit my nine to five and then be, then I was writing and producing full time. Yeah which helped, you know, my writing got a lot better. Even though it was commercials and not like features or television shows, I was still, sorry, getting super parched. It's okay. <sighs> Water. <laughs> Usually it's, people it's, don't let me talk this much. It's a little warm in here, so. <laughs> That's nice. So then basically I signed a six-month contract with this investor to handle all of his stuff. Okay. And then that gave me the ability to have a huge production resume build a beautiful website and then I've been getting a bunch of jobs since then and then now my production is leading more into creative production because now that I have the skill and now that I'm building the name I'm able to 
help people film their sketches and I'm able to help people film web series and um, I actually have a script that I it's a really important script to me right and usually what I'll do is I'll like pitch them and hopefully sell or get it optioned etc this one I don't want to end up in production limbo and now that I have the production skills I'm considering kind of producing it yeah so I found this guy who um, produced a movie recently all in Yiddish it was bought by A24 and it has amazing uh, reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Like he made this full on like Yiddish movie. Uh-huh. So I pitched the script to him and he loved it. And we're talking and now like I might be able to like produce my own pilot. Wow. Kind of like the Duplass brothers. When did you know that you liked making people laugh? And when did that all sort of start? So when I was a little kid, I would team up. So I'm one of seven kids. Oh my so gosh. I would <laughs> the third of seven kids. Max is only twenty five, by the way, and he already has nine he has nine kids already. I have, I have eleven children. <laughs> I can't believe you missed two of my kids' birthdays. <laughs> Thanks, Eddie. <laughs> so um So you're one of you're one of I'm one of seven. One of seven. My sorry. wife is okay. one of ten. Oh my gosh. So many. Why That's do they let crazy. Jews have so many kids? That's In China insane. they like cap it off. Wow. In America it's like just go. Oh my lord. Um yeah. Whew. It's terrible. And you guys were wearing protection protection throughout all of this. So imagine if like your parents well, you have didn't through the hole in the sheet. Right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Isn't that no? That's not a thing anymore. Um, I always wanted to make a sketch about. So first off, that's not true. But there's a rumor that Jews have sex through a hole in a sheet. Okay. So I always wanted to make a sketch where like a Jew is going to like the sheet store, and it's like different sheets with different size holes. That's awesome. Then there's like the used section. Yes. Somebody thinks it's a poncho. You wait, know, like, wait, why? Just do that. Eventually, we'll film it. It's like a thought. That's just the problem is that once this goes live, people are gonna, people are going to know they're not going to watch the sketch anymore. Right? No, but it's a, I don't want anybody to steal that idea because so we're just going to have to cut it out. We edit the podcast. Yeah, so we're done. That, this but is, this is actually this is the first time we've actually been funny. So. Oh my gosh! Shit. Yeah, exactly. It's the only useful piece of podcast. So I guess we're going to have to keep it. You're actually, like you actually feel relaxed and you're telling jokes. It's good. Totally. Yeah, it took some time. It took some time. I was I, so nervous, I, especially with the cats coming I, in. Oh. I gave him four Xanax before he walked in. And um, I took an Oxy in the car. Okay, so one of nine kids or seven? So one of seven. Seven, okay. So I would pull my siblings together to make plays for my parents. That's just... I so you even knew... Yeah, so I couldn't write or spell. Yeah, but you, when did you know that you liked being in front of people, sort of like performing? So even before, because you're saying when I was like a little kid. Okay. So when I was four or five. So when I when I was younger, my brothers and sisters wouldn't want to go to school with me because I would make my parents put a costume on me for school. Like I wouldn't go to school if I wasn't wearing a cape because I needed a cape. (laughs) So my older brother and older sister were embarrassed for my father to walk down the street with them and me with my cape. Uh, then when I turned about, <laughs> actually, you wearing, need a cape in he, school. Well, <laughs> you never know what'll happen. It's a little scary, but he actually is still wearing a cape. Still wearing a cape. Yeah. I'm only wearing a cape. Um, <laughs> I thought it's a, it's comfortable. Um, okay, so you're you're like clearly you're enjoying the attention, or you. So I'm enjoying the attention. I like the kind of being able to express myself creatively right. and you know have fun like that. Um, my neighbor was this like old Moroccan lady, and she was a seamstress. Okay. So my mother thought that it would be important for us to sew. So we would go to her and she'd give us like sewing classes uh-huh. and I would make capes <laughs> and I made more capes. So I had a cape collection because um, it's very easy to make capes because it's just like, yeah, it's just it's a sheet. Just, it's just and a sheet. Your parents can use that while they're having sex. Exactly. There's, I was like, why are there holes in my capes? <laughs> my parents were like, oh, don't use that one. It's dirty. <laughs> Terrible. 
Um, <laughs> that's how we had seven kids. If I would have had less capes, <laughs> right. would have had less kids. Yes. Um, so then I would put on these. Oh, so then when I turned about five, uh-huh. we had a box of costumes. And we had wigs and, you know, old dresses and like a bunch of different stuff. So I created a character, which was like a grumpy grandmother. Okay. And I would do that for my siblings all the time. So I'd put on like these one man shows where I do like full on costumes and pretend to be a lady, like put on a dress, put on hair. And then I'd like pretend to be your husband and like put on a hat and like put on a fake mustache. And I would do these one man shows at like five, six years old. Right. And then when I got a drop older, I considered myself the producer director and I would, I, I like didn't write scripts what i do is this was probably again like six years old i would just like scribble on paper so it looked like words just like with a black pen or a black sharpie then i'd staple it together so it looked like a script and i'd give it to my siblings and that would be like their lines that they had to memorize right but then i would describe it to them so i'd make them look at a script that had no words <laughs> and then so it was improv ex- yeah and expect them to like know the lines and know the scenes and then I'd like talk them through it yeah. and we'd put on little plays for my parents I think what works though for you and I'm sure you're you're aware of this and you're smart you, and I don't mean to correct me if I'm wrong but obviously there's this sort of conservative conservativeness surrounding the orthodox Jewish lifestyle and they have to behave a certain way and I think What's hysterical about you telling these stories, and I don't know how how conservative your parents were, and you can obviously tell me, but, you know, here you are acting sort of flamboyant and fun and trying to make people laugh and have a good time. And I'm sure either people in your family or your world could have either been offended or they just think this kid is fucking hysterical and we just got to let him keep doing his thing. So we'll get into it more. Younger generation loves me. Okay. Older generation hate yeah kind of how it works so getting to my parents quickly and kind of how i got my creative flair my parents weren't religious when they were born they became religious like later in life then got married and had us so my father was an artist he was a painter okay and my mother was an actress she Hmm. was in the first um ethan hawk and river phoenix first movie the Explorers by Steven Spielberg. Oh, yeah, okay. She was in the movie Nadia, so she was this actress, and then both of them kind of decided that Did they wanted... Did you just wanted... say Nadia? Nadia. <laughs> um, Nadia about Nadia Kamenichi. Okay, So she it. was the co-star in that movie. Wow. And, and she, she just, like, wrote a book or something. And she still gets checks. Okay. She just got a $2 check for a movie she did 30 years ago. And she just wrote a book. And she just wrote a book called Moodtopia okay. that you could find at Whole Foods and on Amazon. Oh, that's cool. Which is cool. And you're working on your book. I am. I am. So if you need any help or tips on getting published, because I heard that's the like biggest it's nightmare the in the world. Thing in the world. I can give I you my mother's number. You can ask her. Please. I'm going to be. I, I'm. I don't want this to be too much about me, but yet, at all, actually. But yes, I'm. I want to hear about you. I'm in the second. But yeah, my mother got turned down by like forty something publishing oh, companies. I'm sure I'm going to get turned down by, by a ton, which is why I decided crazy. to just post a bunch or put a bunch of nudity in the book because I feel like that at least just nude will... pictures. <laughs> yes, just nude pictures. So when you open when you open the book, just a bunch of nude pictures of you fall out. Yes. they're not even attached to the book. Exactly. Postcards. That that way the book will at least be in people. The people will remember it. They won't forget it. Exactly. Like, will you be wearing a cape? Because <laughs> I have extra capes <laughs> with holes with now. holes in them. Um, so clearly, you're, um, you're, you come from a creative, fun household. 
So clearly they were supportive of the, the weirdness of you walking down the street with a cape. With a cape all, <laughs> at all times. So yeah, so they loved the creativity and my mother made sure that we like had art classes and like I'm, cool. I'm one of the only people in my family that can't draw. My dad's an amazing artist and then my siblings are like incredible artists and my stick figures look deformed. I'm, I'm artsy in other ways, drawing yeah. not. But my mother made sure that we had that. Um, she made sure that we all played an instrument for at least a little bit. And then I had like my stint in music and writing music. Um, but my community as a whole, so I grew up in Brooklyn amongst right. the like ultra, ultra Orthodox Jews. Yeah. So they frowned upon any like hmm. outside influences. So any entertainment, even like Disney movies, were frowned upon. No TV, no you know music, no secular music, no secular television, no secular movies. I was raised in a community where any where being different, being artistic, was frowned upon. Yeah, and people really didn't like it. They did specifically. They didn't like you. They just didn't. I mean, did you was, get the sense like in people... school there was we didn't have did you music go to like classes? A, so did, I went to a all Jewish. Called, all Jewish school like a yeshiva okay and in yeshiva we never we didn't have music classes we didn't have drama classes like we didn't have anything artsy yeah um so it was it was hard and then that kind of helped me develop my sense of humor because there wasn't anything funny which was really funny yeah so i was the person you know kind of trying to make everyone laugh and trying to be silly and trying to like lighten because i i came from a household with a lot of creativity and i knew that you know, people were better off with it. So I tried yeah. to bring it to the table, like in school, before school every year. So most people in the community would like have a TV and like watch movies, but the school itself wanted to keep a reputation. So you had, you had to sign a contract promising that you don't have um, uh, movies or TVs at your house, in your oh house. Oh my gosh. So you, your parents had to sign a contract. And so they obviously making sure lied. that there was yeah making sure that there was like no outside influence yeah. in your life. Um, a friend of mine borrowed a movie, uh-huh. and he's not that smart. And in the hallway in school, <laughs> he handed it back to me. And this is a VHS, like it's hard to hide it. And he handed it to me, and my principal was like, "I'll take that," and took it away. And I almost got suspended for um, having uh, Inspector Gadget. That was the movie. Inspector Gadget. Remember Matthew Broderick's yeah, Inspector I think he, I think Gadget? He, I think he took it away just because he was offended by your bad taste in yeah, movies. Yeah, he's like, why are you watching this? This is terrible. <laughs> I love the cartoons. I didn't yeah. know it was going to be a bad movie. Yeah. You know, how does how did it feel just to be a part of a community, a part of a, a heritage where it's just the world around you? I mean, you're having a good time and your parents are obviously loving and, and want you to enjoy your life and they see that you have a talent and that kind of thing. But does it feel weird to know that that sort of like hangs over you, that that history and that heritage of like even the school that you went to, they're they're not wanting you to watch movies and you shouldn't have television at home. I mean, so what's the good of all of that? So Judaism as a whole is a really beautiful thing. And if you look throughout history, like in the temple, there was a whole tribe, the Levites, they were musicians and their job in the temple was to play music and to make everyone happy. And what happens is since then the Jews have been persecuted so much that they kind of like head between their knees. Like they don't want to be shown. They don't want to be seen. They don't want to be heard. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be happy. So a lot of the Jewish communities have this like 
post-war trauma that they're trying to get through. Like you look at Williamsburg, like the reason that they dress the way that they do is because they're desperate to hold on to Judaism. And it's been stripped away and pulled from them so many times that they don't want to look like everyone else. They want to look like Jews because it's kind of all they have. And when it came to like Germany and Russia and things like that, places like that if you were jewish you had a target on your back yeah you had like you know your longer side locks people would pull on them they'd rip them out they'd shave your beard they'd beat you you'd get killed you'd get murdered so i think that all of that persecution really kind of made a lot of the older generation of jews like really worried Sure. And really hesitant to be creative and to be out there and to be fun. But again, I think like throughout history, Jews are funny. They're fun. They're yeah. they're the comedians. They're the musicians. They're the entertainers. Um, and the Orthodox Jewish world is kind of just like catching up to it. Like what I really liked was hmm. the um, singer Matis Yahu. Sure. He was a religious Jew. He was a rabbi. And he proved that like, hey... He could go out and be this huge reggae singer. What getting. about Sasha something Cohen? Sasha Baron Cohen. So he's he's very Jewish. Um, <laughs> like, like he's very he's Jewish. Very Jewish. <laughs> On a scale of one, I don't know how religious how Jewish he is. is he? Uh, Seventeen. <laughs> That's as high as the scale can go. Um, yeah, I'm saying there's a lot of like a lot of proud Jews, but I but I think that you know there's there's a lot of trauma. Yeah. And I think the way non-religious Jews avoided the trauma was by trying to blend in. They dropped the Judaism because they wanted to be happy and they didn't want that target on their back anymore. And that's why like a lot of American Jews, you know, the the American Jewish comedians and writers and actors and all those people, they're expressing themselves because they kind of like kind of dropped the weight. And the Orthodox Jews, they're like more uptight about it because they like feel that it's precious, but they know that they can or they think that they can get killed and hurt. Right any minute um well, i think it's applaudable I, I applaud you and your parents i mean if this isn't about not ignoring that something happened or your history but i think there is something to be said about moving on yeah not forgetting but you know moving on and and it's your life i think it's important you're you're you can't sit around and live be scared you can't keep thinking about something all the time that was terrible uh, you need to live your life and i think it's not showing disrespect for you doing that and telling jokes and moving to la and trying to pursue making money and living your life and i, I think it's it's I, important i agree i think that that's the most important thing i think that there is kind of the meeting in the middle that yeah. don't drop everything that your you know family believes in because you're scared that somebody might hurt you and don't hide in your little you know shtetl your little like jewish community your little jewish box because you're scared that people will like hurt you it's kind of like finding that middle being able to wear a t-shirt and jeans but have your kippah on because like you're proud to be a jewish but you can you know look the way you want to and act the way you want to and right. you know take the beautiful parts of you know your religion and incorporate it into everyday life when did you realize that you should because you you were in brooklyn so obviously there's brooklyn. a creative scene in new york Where why Jews are made 
you know, where they're made. But why did you, how, why did you decide I've got to go to LA? Were your parents cool about it? And, and did you go to college to do acting and writing? Or just no. tell me a little bit about that. Sure. So I knew I always you wanted... Can, by the way, you can put your shirt back on now. The cape is, it's just... You as know. long as I don't have to put my pants back on, we're fine. <laughs> but can I keep the boots on? I'm just wearing... Yeah, definitely, definitely. Boots and a cape. Just like, got to make money in LA. It's expensive. No, you know, right? Little, little side hustle. <laughs> Bernie Sanders said he wants to bring pro- make prostitution legal. Really? Yeah. That'll get him some votes. Right? Yeah, that'll definitely get him some Done. votes. Done. I'm voting for him. <laughs> Hell yeah. A little spare cash. Some dollars. Um, so as I was finishing up school, um, when I turned 18, mm-hmm. um, my parents sat me down. Uh-oh. <laughs> and they were like, okay, what do you want to do with your life? So I was planning on going to a school that it was like a yeshiva university. So, so like a continuation of high school. Exactly. Yeah. It's a continuation of high school. At the end, I would have my bachelor's degree, but I'd also still be like in a very orthodox environment, still like learning Torah and the Talmud and all of those things, but also getting my degree. Um, do and you my, need more water, by the way? I'm okay for right now. Okay. Thank you. So getting your degree. Sorry. So I was still, so I was getting my degree. And my parents were like, okay, so now that you're about to like go to college, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Like, what do you want to do? And I looked at them and I was like, I am going to work in entertainment. Right. And they were like, oh God, like, oh, no. no, like my mother, my mother literally when I was younger, my, my older sister got her bachelor's in, um, in like finance, uh-huh. sorry, sorry, business. She got her like um bachelor's in business management or something and my brother was getting his bachelor's in physics he's actually about to go to a phd program for physics and i wanted to work in entertainment but my mother would introduce us she'd be like there's my daughter she has a degree in business there's my son he's going to be a physicist there's my other son he's going to be a lawyer and then here's max no she would say i was going to be a lawyer oh she would say that she would say she'd be like you're he's going to be a lawyer oh funny and i was like sure mother so i told them i wanted to be working in entertainment and they're like i feel like that's a pipe dream like it's never like you're never going to be able to do that especially like you're a religious jew if you want to have your kippah on and keep your beard and like not perform on friday nights and things like you can't work in the entertainment industry Hmm. and i was like there's a couple things that i could do i'm like first off i can write and i really love writing and i always wanted to be a writer and at that time, Instagram didn't exist. Facebook didn't exist. Or Facebook did, but like barely. Yeah. Um, it was kind of YouTube. And I explained, I'm like, hey, I can build my own fan base. I will figure out a way to like film sketches and put it on YouTube and kind of build my fan base that way and kind of build my brand. And that's what I told my parents at 18. Hmm. And they were like, uh, okay. And they were still pl- hoping that I would go to law school. Right. And then I finished college i got my bachelor's i was ordained as a rabbi and oh then, wow yeah Woo. and then my parents decided they're like we will pay for you to start studying for your lsat we'll bribe you to not be getting into entertainment yeah and i at the, <laughs> at the time it was like i still so i started doing open mics a little bit at that time and this is in la this is in new york oh, still, so in new still in new york okay got so it I, started, I was doing like open mics a little bit and you know kind of writing short stories and writing poetry and and things like that at the time i was also writing a lot of music and then i started studying for my lsec so i was like you know what i want to um orthodox jews are kind of pushed to 
start their lives and build a foundation, which is getting married. So you like right. get kids. married, you have your foundation, yes. and then you can like go out into the world and then have kids. Um, it well, was sheets. <laughs> I had capes. So I'm like, I'm ready for marriage. Right. I have the capes. We're married good. by 16, kids by 17. No, in Judaism, you're a man at 13. Just <laughs> Hey. Right. Um, so then I'm studying for my LSAT. And I really didn't like it. And it sure. didn't feel good. And then I went to take the LSAT. And I got food poisoning. And I was like, I spent most of the LSAT in the bathroom. Hmm. Just like sick. Well, it's funny because we actually have video of that. No. <laughs> Footage from New York. Law school. <laughs> blah, blah. They were like, why is this bathroom so disgusting? <laughs> wow. Um, wow. That's amazing. I wonder so, if it was like anxiety or something. No. So I'm, I'm a good test taker. I don't really get that much like i'm fine with performing and like i was in a band so i'd perform in front of in front of audiences yeah. i was fine on stage like the test didn't really scare me that much i just felt like i got sick like i just ate bad food yeah and while i was in the bathroom i was like why am i doing this i don't want to do this and it won't make me happy yeah so instead i without going to school for entertainment and i've only, at that time i only wrote short stories and poetry and things like that i'm like i'm gonna write a script so, uh, well, sorry. I was like, I'm going to write a TV show. Okay. So I Google, what do I need to write to sell a TV show? So the first thing was a treatment. So I'm like, okay. So I Google a bunch of treatments and I read them and read them and read them. I'm like, okay, I got a grasp and I come up with an idea and I go and I write it. Okay. And then I was like, okay, what do I do now? So there was this author. I don't remember her name. She was having a book signing. And like on her website, she mentioned that she wrote for TV and whatever. So I went to the book signing, I introduced myself, and I was like, oh, by the way, I have this TV show concept that I'm like working on pitching, blah, 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 like oversold myself. And I'm like, I'm looking for a co-writer. Maybe I can send you the concept and we can, you know, work together. Wow, She's like, you. is there money involved? I'm like, of course there's money involved, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I send it to her and she looks at it and she gave me a couple notes and she's like, this is good. Where's the pilot script and Bible? And I didn't know that I needed a script to sell a show, and I didn't know what a Bible was. But I was like, yeah. "Oh, those are in development." I just You're wanted like, to see. I have a Bible. I'm like, of course, like, yeah. Here's, I'm sorry, Orthodox Jew. I don't have a Bible. Here's my. I have okay. a Quran and a Torah. <laughs> um, so then, then I was like, so I told her, I'm like, oh, I'll get it over to you when it's ready. Yeah. And I'm like, shit, I need this stuff. So I googled scripts, and I started like reading and studying like scripts and wow. how it was written and how yeah. it was done. And anytime I needed like a transition and I didn't know how to do it, I'd like Google it and figure out how to do it. Um, and then I wrote a pilot script and I met with this producer guy. I somehow like hustled it. I was actually at the time, uh, somebody came, somebody confronted me about a reality show, uh -huh. a show about like religious Jews in the 21st century. Yeah. Which I think is a good idea. Which would be fun. Yeah. Um, I just wrote a script about it. I'll tell you later. Don't all tell these, the podcast. All these great Shh. ideas on this podcast. Right, exactly. See, <laughs> I should do this. If I did this podcast every week, we'd be rich. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. So wait, continue. So, so you wrote the script. So I wrote the script. I meet with this producer. Right. And I send him the script. And he's like, ooh, this is good, but... No nudity. It's 64 pages yeah. long. And that's only an hour. And it's, no, it was supposed to be a 30-minute show. Oh, that's right. Okay. So I sent it in, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's the uncensored version. Of course I have a 30-page version. <laughs> Duh, yeah. And then that night, I did one of the hardest things in my life, which was cutting... 30 um, pages. Cutting 30 pages. Yeah. And it was hard because it felt like, you know, cutting off my own arm, because this was my baby. This is like, I right. would put so much time into it. 
I shopped it around a little bit to people that I know, and I was able to get managers. At the time, I was like continuing my life, and I started dating this girl that I met on a train okay. in New York on the subway. Um, that wasn't a Holocaust reference, not that kind of train. <laughs> Other train. Um, and then I had managers out here that wanted to work with me. Okay. And, and you were you're like, I need to come out here. And I was like, I need to come out here. Yeah. And the plan was to, so then I was getting married and the plan was to move within six months of, of being married. I was right. just going to like work in New York, save up money for six months and then move out here. And then two days before my wedding, I heard back from a job and I got a job. So I had managers and a job out here. So four days after my wedding, I was in LA. Wow. When I was 18, I loved stand-up comedy, and I'd listened to um, Bill Cosby's album. I know we're not allowed to like him anymore. No, it's okay. I just was listening to Mark. Hilarious. Yeah, I listened to um, his Noah stuff. But I loved, I loved comedy. Loved um, comedy albums, and like that's right when like Russell Peters hit YouTube. So we were watching those kind of clips and things. Um, And then I was in LA for the summer, so I have some family out here, so I would come as often as I could. And I was with a bunch of friends and we didn't know what to do on a Saturday night. And my mother's like, hey, why don't you guys go to the improv? When I was younger, I'd go there all the time. Right. So there was an amateur's night and tickets were $5 online. So we went and I bought tickets for me and my friends. We get there. There are five of us uh-huh. and there are seven comedians. <laughs> and the, com- the comedians were like, we're not performing for five people. Right. Which is, as a comedian now, that's super obnoxious. Yeah, right. Like, why the hell not? Like, yeah. get the stage time. Yeah. But they were, like, really rude, and they're like, we're not going to perform for you. So the manager pulled us to the side, and he's like, go wait for wait by the bar. I'm going to squeeze you into the main show. And the main show, um, Ron Artest, was Ron Artest, the basketball yeah, player. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. So he was doing a comedy tour. Okay. And he had, um, Leslie Jones was on his was on this show. Wow. And there were a bunch of, there's a guy, Jay Phillips, like a bunch of really cool comedians on the show. So I go to the bar and I see a guy who was on a Nickelodeon show that my siblings watched called Big Time Rush. Okay. So Steven Gluckman was just sitting by the bar. So I went, I started talking to him. I didn't know he was a comedian, but at the end of the conversation, I was like, oh, when are are you going to do stand up? And he's like, actually, I'm going to do stand up tomorrow night. Here's my cell phone number. Call me tomorrow and I'll put you, I'll like, you know, Get so you, you guys got, tickets. Yes. Okay. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I have, a, I have a comedian friend. Right. So as soon as we finished that, the manager came and said, hey, we're going to squeeze you into the show. And I kind of built a relationship with the manager because like he felt, it was, sorry, she felt like she owed us a favor. Yeah. Um, and then we went to run our test show. Yeah. And we got to hang out with the comedians after because they, again, they felt bad that our show got canceled. Now was this, you were already living out here at this point. So I wasn't, I was 18. I was just here, like just visiting. Just, okay. But that's amazing that just in that short amount of time that you, like all this cool shit's happening. Yeah. Like, so all this stuff happens. And then every time, so then I, the next night I went to the show and Stephen Gluckman introduced me to another comedian who we can't say the name on the podcast (laughs) because he's like blacklisted now, whatever. Um, and then that guy in Corey Feldman, Corey Feldman, (laughs) it was actually, um, his name is Weinstein. You had Harvey Weinstein oh, right, when he right, was doing right, comedy. Right, right. Um, so that comedian also invited us to the show. Yeah. And it was fun for these comedians to have like a group of Orthodox Jews in the audience. 
So I started building relationships with comedians. It was just really fun for the comedians to have us. So they would invite us more and more just to like have this like beautiful peanut gallery like right there. Um, and then every time I'd come back to California, I would reach out to these comedians and like I would always come to shows and I started building relationships. Then Stephen Glickman invited me to the Laugh Factor when he was performing and my now comedian, comedic mentor and uh, writing partner, Tehran, was hosting mm-hmm. the show. And after that show, I was speaking to um, Stephen. Yeah. And then this guy, Tehran, came over and he started speaking to me. And he's like, if you're ever in LA, hit me up. I'll get you tickets. So when I finally moved out here and right. started um, and started working as a writer, Stephen Glickman had me on his podcast. He was doing a live talk show and he had me on it and writing for it. So I started like writing for comedians. And then they all pushed me a little bit like, why don't you just do it yourself? So I started doing stand-up and I started performing at Flappers and different places. Yeah. Then as soon as I moved out here, once I had the managers and things, then I started utilizing the connections. And I started working with Steven and like writing a (laughs) little... I think that was my stomach. That was my stomach. Was it it yours? I think. Either I had too much lunch, not enough lunch. I'm smelling the Jewish restaurants from Pico. I don't know what's going on. We're not editing that. That stays in. I think that was I think that was my or maybe stomach. it was both of our stomachs. <laughs> both of our stomachs. Our were... stomachs just like sunk up. So, like, obviously, a lot of um, I don't even want to say thought, but you clearly had a plan where you're like, I, I love LA and I want to move out here, but I'm going to make sure I get some connections because you realize that it's it's going to take some work to get your get your face seen, your voice heard, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I I knew that the world runs on connections. Here, my policy is this. If somebody has an extra piece of chocolate cake, are they making a casting call to give it away or are they giving it to someone they know? And so eventually you made you made the um, decision to just fly out here, move out here with your wife and, and so, make it home. And make it home. And then I was lucky enough that while I had my nine to five job, I started getting into comedy. I started writing sketch for TBS Digital. Right. That led me to a gig. I think it's my stomach. I think it's your stomach. <laughs> Go eat something. No, I'm not. It's not even a hungry kind Go of, get some kosher uh, tacos. Sausages. Sausages. Ooh, those are good. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, okay, so God, yeah, you really. Kosher sausages in your mouth. Um, yeah, but it's. <laughs> you said it, not me. No, but I think you're proving the point where it's it's like, you know, it's important to. You know, I'm writing this book now, but I am sort of trying to get relationships going on because I realize it's it's not good enough just to finish the book. You need to know people that know people that know how to get it published and or your you know your script scene. It's just yeah, it requires um, you need you need to have an outgoing, personable person personality in addition to sort of being a recluse where you're just at home writing. For sure, just look at the TV shows, movies, the music on the radio. It's not the best music the world right. has to offer. It's the music that is being offered. Right. Somebody with a script had enough connections and enough friends. And enough to willingness his, to have enough, sex with the producers. Yeah. Shh, we're not allowed to say that anymore. <laughs> Me too. Um, but yeah, and like those are the people that get their things done. Yeah. I talked about this on a podcast like where I'm just talking about our society. I just, 
you know, who are the gatekeepers? You know, who are the people that are deciding what's popular, what gets seen? You know, there it's just that that group of people to me is so interesting. The decision makers, and I'm not like that that say go on something, you know, and and because I just think they control so much more than we think. A hundred percent. But what's crazy is you have to look at how the world the world works. Mm-hmm. So Hollywood had this weird gate system where only NBC, ABC, sure. CBS, those were the gatekeepers. If you ever wanted to have a TV show, you needed to follow their ways and you needed to pitch your shows at a certain time and the scripts had to look a certain way, blah, 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 blah. Netflix came around and they're like, that's stupid. Yeah, Give the people what they want. And Netflix is bigger now. Amazon was like, Amazon started off as a bookseller. Right. But they were like, oh my gosh, we've, we're utilizing the power of the internet. We can do whatever we want. And then as they got bigger, bigger and bigger and bigger, they're like, they decided to get into entertainment. And Hulu was the same thing. Hulu was like, why do I have to watch the NBC show when NBC tells me to? Right. Why do I have to watch it at 7 p.m. on a Sunday? I'm busy. I'm going to watch it the next day online. Yeah, I think. And Hulu created. So I think that's what the beauty of social media is doing, that it's like, it used to be, like you're saying, a machine that decided we love Leonardo DiCaprio. Right. We love Ryan Gosling. These are the people we're supposed to love. Then the internet came around, and the internet let the people choose their saviors. Well, but the problem, and here, this is where it sort of comes to the, the point of the podcast, or like the subject of the podcast. I think now the problem with letting the people choose is that people are stupid <laughs> choose poorly <laughs> people choose poorly people don't everybody thinks that they have an, a worthwhile opinion and people like netflix now wants people to literally stare at their their programs all day like literally the world wants you to stare at a television all day long they want you to not talk to people they don't want you to read they just want you to stare at netflix or hulu all day long so <laughs> I actually, that's funny that you're saying that. I went to a screening of the new season of Silicon Valley. Okay. And it was the writers and directors and everything. First of phenomenal show. And what the writer was saying is in order to write the show, they would spend a lot of time in Silicon Valley. Um, and they also had these like really like nerdy, geeky sign, you know, like technological people. Right. Um, I don't know if they like being called that. Um on set kind of making sure they pronounce the words right and kind of you know thinking of plot lines based on their experiences in silicon valley and they realized that all of these social media platforms are created by antisocial people Hmm. so we technology rules the world and antisocial people rule technology and we're allowing people who are antisocial and don't have good social skills to dictate what our new social norms should be. My mind is being blown right now. You know what? It was such a good, such a good screening. That's fucking amazing because if you think about it, what's become so addicted about these platforms, it's not anything that's deep. It's, it's channeling the person's insecurities in the sense that they're getting dopamine or if Instagram knows that you like to look at like yeah. naked uh, women of us from Thailand or something or men, <laughs> or men you're going to get like somehow things are going to keep getting fed to you and you're going to be staring at that all day long. And the person who is antisocial, who is insecure, is the one that's looking at porn at like 11 o'clock at night or something. Or 11 o'clock <laughs> or in, the 11 morning. in the morning. But I was just thinking it makes sense. And then... 
everything about that platform is for somebody who is insecure. Well, yeah, because think about this. Or antisocial. I love meeting new people, going over and talking to someone. Yeah. Now, if you don't like talking to someone, social media is perfect because I never have to confront someone. If I want to talk to them, I message them. Right. I don't have to answer someone right away. I could message them back at my own convenience. I could see their message, decide what I want to respond, respond at my own convenience. I can stalk people, look at stories and posts. I am too nervous to talk to you. I want to know what's going on in your life. I can see it without having to talk to you. Yeah. So it's literally, it's kind of an antisocial person's dream and we're all buying into it. A couple of things, because like, I know you have to go. Um, I I think Instagram is, I, I joke, I think it's ruining the world. I think it's, ru- okay, and if, I, if one could argue ruining is a bit dramatic, but I do think Instagram, again, let's, just like we said at the beginning of the podcast, if you're a performer, a writer, a podcaster, producer, music producer, please use Instagram as much as you want. It's a great platform to get your art out there. But it's, create, it's changing the way people communicate. People don't have face-to-face conversations. They text all day. They stare at their phones. They um, just look at pretty pictures all day because most people only post themselves when they look their best. And True. it's just created so much more harm. I, I think it's a fa- – and, and people under the age of like 20 don't really talk anymore. They, they don't even have phone conversations anymore. They just text. And there's so much that is lost. If you're only texting somebody, you aren't – seeing their facial expressions you're not hearing the emotion yeah or a pause or anyway i think it is it it has fucked the simple way human beings are meant to communicate but now i'm gonna be a little controversial yeah is that the greatest thing or is that the worst thing because think about this if no one ever tried to drink bleach they wouldn't put do not drink on the bleach if nobody burnt themselves with a starbucks cup we wouldn't have those beautiful sleeves. Screwing yeah. things up ends up perpetuating a better society at the end of the day. It gets ruined first, but then eventually doesn't it kind of make us better and make us stronger? Point, like pointing out the flaws in the system make it better in my opinion. So now TV was dictated by a bunch of old white guys, whatever it is with NBC, like all of these shows, then Netflix came out and said, we don't need to listen to you anymore. And now you're saying what's Netflix. Netflix is bad because all it's doing is it's trying, or it's sorry. There are bad elements of Netflix because all it's trying to do is make you watch shows forever. Well, I do. It's so complicated, but But I think it'll fix itself. Well, this is why I, I am apprehensive or I don't know if that will happen because it's money driven and ultimately Facebook uh, they have investors, they have employees, they have a bottom line. And, you know, God, you said so many things there. Um, I said, this is a weird comparison, and, I just, and I'm not meaning this to be offensive at all. I actually brought up, uh, I talked about Hitler a couple podcasts. Who? I know. Never heard of him. So, no, but hear me out. And I, I, this is my point. I thought that he is the single greatest, obviously greatest is a fucked up word to say, manipulator of all time. Like, it's fucked up. And I'm thinking um, a lot of things had to be involved. There wasn't a strong government. People are so incredibly impressionable and so easily brainwashed. 
And is Mark Zuckerberg Hitler? No, I don't think he is. But he has created a platform that has manipulated so many people and brainwashed so many people to the point where when you walk around the street, people are staring at Facebook and Instagram all day. And I hope that I wasn't offensive by what no. I said. But, but now, am I insane for even thinking but, that? But kind of to my thing, like the world right. correcting itself a little bit, Facebook isn't that big anymore. What do you mean? Like the younger generation doesn't really have Facebook. They don't, but they still Facebook. use WhatsApp They're and Instagram. Instagram. Yeah, but they're so stupid to think that, oh, well, I'm using Instagram and I'm using Facebook. Fuck you, you idiot. You are still using Facebook. No, but you I are think, using like their but platform. I, but and I feel still... like the, the platform's changing means that we're not being manipulated to completely. If we were being manipulated, then Facebook would only be the, would be the only platform. No, but I, mean, I feel like still the, there's, there's the, still I, the umbrella. I mean, yeah, but I think, but I think that it, it's like a shift to kind of what we what we want and what we take. And I feel like, yes, bad. It's kind of this is super controversial. Bad things happening point out flaws that we can then go fix. I agree with you. Like I think you know I'm saying like. People going shooting up schools is the worst thing in the world. But now we know that it's a problem, and now we can try to fix but this it. this is the problem. The, the government is so fucked up that it's not going to get fixed. The gun problem isn't going... And I don't mean to be glass half empty. Right. It isn't going to get fixed. It's just the NRA is too strong. I don't want to get into politics. People are... We people, need the Netflix of the government. Yeah, I don't Conspiracy think, thing. I know, I know, but that's... And by the way, uh, Jeff Bezos, way scarier than Mark Zuckerberg. Think about the amount of power that guy yeah. has. Yeah, no, but that's what's. But this is the thing, you know. We just trust, that, like, okay, we trust that Netflix and Facebook and Amazon have our best interests. And I think, and even you, just saying that comment about, oh, we're shifting and people are using Instagram instead of that is such naivete. It's like mind blowing to me because. Facebook still, you're not being naive. I think you're saying that because you want to be hopeful that it's going to correct ourselves. But Facebook purposely bought Instagram because they know that people are reading less and they are more obsessed with photographs. And then we're becoming obsessed with video. Well, let's gobble up the most popular platform that has fa- that is photo and video related. And then we're going to steal all of Snapchat's ideas and use them in ours because we know our platform is better than Snapchat. And then we're also going to gobble up WhatsApp because that's the biggest international text platform in the world. I mean, this is but, all this is all like so obvious what they're doing. And I just think it's it's so fucked up what's going on and complicated. And I think the you know, I'm not telling well, I think you know, I, I don't know. Looping in WhatsApp, I think WhatsApp is great. Because well, it's, it's, WhatsApp's connecting the world, I feel. I agree. I, I mean, feel like as I'm saying, but yeah, potentially Facebook and Instagram. I just don't like that Facebook is that owns it and they're using people's data. They're using people's location to get more information out of them. Yeah, those things. You want to talk about insecurity? He created Facebook. It was a what, like, are you hot or not? He was a big time nerd who didn't get laid and he created a platform with his Harvard buddies, or was it Princeton or Harvard? I forgot. I think it was Harvard. To to, to judge people's Wait, according hot, to the movies, didn't to, he get to, laid? Yeah, to judge people's hotness. And so yeah. like that's the guy who has created a platform that now rules the world. And it's just sort of crazy. Sorry, I've just gone on a try. You I'm, can go on the rant. Yeah. But, but now 
there's another kind of like element to all of this, which is we're in America. Yeah. And in a part of what America is, it's a democracy. It's a country based on the people. What do the people want? We founded this country on giving the people the rights to choose. And now recently we're upset about the choices the people are making. Whether you like Trump or not, the people chose him. Very true. The American country and the structure that America is built on <laughs> yes. chose him. If you want to be in America and you want to have a choice, you have to live with the repercussions. If we want to live in a place where the people choose how they spend their time, like you, I'm saying on one hand, like what you're saying is Facebook and Instagram is like, in, or Netflix potentially enslaving us, but technically that's the freedom that we're choosing currently. Here's my last point. We talk about this word choice, but I think our brains are so brainwashed and manipulated that people don't even like know that they're in control of their own choices anymore because YouTube now has like they... Well, that's always people. People are... The majority yeah. of people are sheep. Yeah. And that's why something like um, the Holocaust was able to happen. And it's not the first time there's been, you know, genocides in China. Yeah. And there's been like, um, just think about the concept of like enslaving people. Jews were slaves. Well, I'm saying now people are saying Jews weren't slaves, but they, we were. Yeah. Jews were slaves. Blacks were slaves. Like people enslaving people and like an entire race deciding that they're better than other people. Like, you know, white people buying into the fact that they think that they're better than everyone else and they can enslave who they want to. Like, that is the world that we live in. Yeah. We're just seeing it manifest in another platform. The people right. are being sheeps to this. You know, I, I, I'll end the show <laughs> by saying, um, and I want you to hear your thoughts. I don't, I think there's a reason why, you know, um, Brian Grazer or Scott Rudin are, and I'm just saying that for film examples, making the decisions they are. It's because of experience and they they have a talent. There was a reason why there was an A&R person, because we trusted that this person knew good bands. And there's a reason why, you know, hopefully you'll get a great agent or manager and CAA is paying this agent you know, $300,000, because we trust that this person knows how to make good decisions and put together a good product. And now with Netflix and Facebook, it's not about that much anymore. It's just getting as much out as you can. And we're going to leave it up to people that don't really know what the fuck they're talking about, make decisions for themselves. And that's where the sort of chaos, I think, sort of happens. Yeah, I agree. But I think that that's kind of it's beautiful and it's pushing the boundaries of creativity in sure. that sense. Because if you like, let's say like, look at the Oscars. So movies that nobody watches don't make any money. Critics decide are amazing. They go and they're nominated for Oscars. And like you look every year and it's like a bunch of the movies that are nominated for Oscars, either I've never heard of or didn't have the time or patience to go and watch. And these are like the Oscar contenders. Yeah. Wait a second. Who's the movie industry for? Is it for the close knit people that are like making the movies or is it the entertainment industry? And it's about entertaining the masses. Netflix came around and they're like, we want to entertain everyone, which means what do people like? 
And what's funny to me is like Adam Sandler puts video puts movies out mm-hmm. and everyone complains, "Oh, they're stupid." People are watching them. Yeah. That's what the reason Netflix keeps giving Adam Sandler money and more movies is because people watch that. And look, you might not like it, but platforms like Netflix are finally giving people what they want to see. Yeah, and the, and the freedom to choose what they want. And the freedom to choose. And you're saying that there's so much to watch, but it's like nice because now, like Netflix has a show called Shtisel that's like in Yiddish. Right. Like it's even too Jewy for me to watch, but like <laughs> now it's giving like like religious Jews something to watch on Netflix. And then you go and there's like Chinese movies, and it's like oh cool, like I can watch that, and it just gives people a lot of options and it's really like giving the people what they want versus the old plat, the old um, yeah. ideals, which was here are the movies, here are the TV shows, watch it or don't here. Are platforms like Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, and even Instagram. It gives everyone a chance to be a creator. Yeah. And it gives everybody a chance to have something that they like. And there are bad things to it, but there are also good things. I do want to close the show by just thanking you. Uh, do you prefer, I've known you as Max, but do you prefer, is it now Menachem? Yeah, so I'll tell you what's funny. Okay. My name is Menachem. Menachem. My English name is Neil. Okay. Max is not my name. I had a grandfather named Max. When I worked for my first nine to five job, that I can't say what it is, I'm about to say something mean, they told me clients won't be able to pronounce your name. You are Max. That's crazy. Yeah. So I was not allowed to be Menachem. Okay, interesting. So, uh, so I kind of had wait, this like fake so name. You, so they chose Max or you? They chose Max. They just chose Max. They didn't even ask me what I wanted to be called. They're like, how does Max sound? I'm like, okay. So, so what wait, a job. I've been calling you Max yeah. all this time. And that's- so I, for two and a half years, I was Max. So like it was fine. But, we're, people. but, but people outside of yeah, this like, job, like, call, like, did Max like I'm of- still in touch with Jesse. Remember Jesse Shapiro? Yeah, of course. So Jesse will text me and he calls me Max. And I've been calling you Max. Yeah. And it's like, it's hard. Like I if somebody... My stomach's going crazy again. Yeah. It's, not even, sausage it's, not even a, it's not a hunger stomach. It's almost like, a, I don't know what it is. It's weird sound going on. Well, it's the Jewish genes in you. It's yeah. IBS. Yes. Welcome to Ashkenazi Judaism. I have weird gas. Right. Um, so it's but yeah, Menachem. So, yeah. M-E-N-A-C-H-E-M. I just want to ask Menachem. really fast, like, who are your favorite, like... Um, Shows. What are your favorite shows, producers, writers right now? And then I'll let you go. Ooh, okay. Um, favorite show of all times? Well, yeah, but, this, but then I want to okay. get current sure. stuff. But My favorite show whatever. of all times, Get Smart. Okay. Mel Brooks wrote it. Yeah. Phenomenal. Um, I love Scrubs. Okay. I love the show Psych. Okay. Those are like my top three. Uh, there was a show that I was super depressed when I got canceled last year called... Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. Okay. The weirdest sci-fi movie on BBC, sci-fi TV show on BBC America, but it was so good. And it was written by a writer who I really like, Max Landis, who just tons of things just came out about him and he's not going to be in Hollywood anymore. Yeah. But super talented. Um, So I love Bill Lawrence. He's the one that created um, Cougar Town and Scrubs and like a bunch of shows like that. Um, and like in a perfect world, what, what do you want your own show on Netflix? I mean, what, it could, what, or like, do you want to be a stand-up comedian and tour, or do you want to? So, in a perfect world, I want to kind of uh, do what Judd Apatow does. So I, like, he had his own TV show. So right. I, I'm able to like write and produce my own TV show. 
um, able to do stand up and have like a special and, you know, like tour occasionally and things do like, you know, smaller tours, but not like right. fully, fully comedian, like not a 100% comedian, but I love comedy. It's always gonna be part of my life. Um, and then help produce other people's work as well. Well, you're really fucking funny. Thank you're you. I really, appreciate it. I'm, no, I'm, it's just, it, you know, the one thing about Instagram that I do like, and I was saying this with this band that I follow that just was on the show a couple of weeks. It is cool to see somebody progress and get more confident and comfortable um, and do, and, you know, do more and get out there and, and do the laugh factory and the improv and keep writing. And that's pretty uh, crazy. And that's the different, like the thing with me, you know, I'm writing my book, but I can't, I, I'm not a stand up comedian also. So I don't go out to like the laugh. People don't know my progress. It's like, it's going to be done. And that's you should that. do it. Come to open mic with me. Yeah. I don't We do know. a two man show. Penn and Teller. Menachem and Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. I know I'm funny, but I, the idea of doing stand up, I don't know if that, I don't think I could do that. I feel like everybody should try stand up at least once. But what would I need to, uh, I would need to think about something to, t- like a story to tell. A story or jokes, one liners, story, something. Yeah. It's just, I think that is a good experience because laughter and making people laugh is beautiful. And also being on stage and facing fears is beautiful. And I think that, you know, being able to, even once at a stupid little open mic or something, just getting up and, you know, kind of facing your fears and just putting a little laughter into yeah. the world is just like a beautiful thing. Yeah. So I'm very proud of that. Um, so I have to spell it just because I want people to know on Instagram. So it's uh, M-E-N-A-C-H-E-M. Yes. And then Silverstein. Like the color. Like, and that's where you're at on Instagram. You're going to be at. And the- I was going to potentially do a different name in my comedy mentor. I was like, no, you're the only Menachem. Right. Be Menachem. Yeah. I'm like, okay. And then um, you're at the Improv Laugh Factory. So I'm at the Laugh Factory on July 8th at okay. 10 p.m. If you DM me, I can put you on my guest list. Yeah. And then... I'm going to have to go to that. I'd love to have you. I Let know. me know. Yeah. That'd be fun. Um, and then I'm going to be at the Comedy Store on the 25th at 8 p.m. Yeah. And how long are your sets? Like 15 minutes? So at the Laugh Factory, it's going to be 15. Okay. Um, at the Comedy Store, it's probably going to be 10. Cool. And then I'm doing a Jewish singles event any Jewish singles out there um, <laughs> on the 14th. Bring your cape with, bring your holus, your, your cape with your hole. My wife doesn't let me wear capes anymore. <laughs> Downside of being married. Uh, well, Menachem, am I pronouncing that okay? Yes. Um, thanks. I'm impressed. Thank you so much for coming on this Down Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast thank and you having, for having this me. awesome talk. No, it's been great. It's, it's been fun. educational. It's been fun. And that's the point. It's been really cool. Thank you for having me. <laughs>